Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. For this week's episode, my guests and I are tackling more film adaptations of beloved horror video game series, this time taking a look at Andre Barcoya's 2005 adaptation of Doom and Tony Gigillo's 2019 Doom Annihilation. We'll chat about our feelings on the beloved source material, how successful Andre Barkoy was in bringing Doom to the silver screen, and as well as seeing if Doom Annihilation learned anything in the 14 years between both films' releases. And joining me once again to rip and tear through these notorious video game flicks is returning friend of the show and staff writer for The Pit, Michael Pemintel. Welcome back to the show, man. Hey, Jay. Thank you for having me back. Very excited to be talking about Doom and these Doom movies with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. You know, we had such a great chat about Silent Hill and really digging into, you know, how successful an adaptation that was. And, you know, when we were sort of like throwing out our uh, top video game adaptation flicks, uh, you know, Mm. obviously Silent Hill, Resi would be the types of things that would be at the top of the list. And, you know, I would go so far as to say, those are more of the universally loved of adaptations. There's plenty of people out there, I'm sure, that have... There are issues with them. And, you know, we even had a few nitpicks here and there with Silent Hill. Sure. But with something like Doom, I think Doom is a little more up in the air, right? In terms of how this film lands for a number of people. Not to say right out the gate, like, this is not a good adaptation. But I'm excited to dive into a film that does not have as much fandom around it as something like a Silent Hill or a Resi, which, you know, when you think of films that have been considered successful adaptations from video games, those would be two of them. Doom, I think, is a little more up in the air with fans, and I'm excited to really kind of dive into how this film holds up, how it is as an adaptation, and, you know, we can, of course, dive into what makes Doom, this game series, so special. Exactly. I love that, and I agree with all that sentiment. Uh, To me, and we'll get more into this, I think it's one of those adaptations that gets unfairly judged. Like, I think it's got crapped on a little bit too much and deserves a a little bit more credit. Sure. And we'll, you know, be dissecting many, many elements of this film uh, in terms of, you know, its cast, its effects, of course, and, you know, how faithful of an adaptation it is. But uh, the only real place to start is let's chat about the source material, that being, you know, id Software's seminal first person shooter masterpiece, 1993's Doom. Um, What was your entry into the Doom franchise and how did it differ from games that you were playing at that time. So ironically, my uh, my entrance <clears throat> was the um, Nintendo 64 entry. Hmm. And it was at that point extremely different compared to anything else I was ever playing because, and you'll have to excuse me, I can't remember what year the N64 uh, Doom came out, but as a child, I was primarily playing adventure games and then JRPGs. I think that game actually might have been my first shooter. <laughs> yeah, memory serves me correctly. It might have been. And then, ironically, I wouldn't play a Doom until Doom 3. And to this day, that's my favorite. I love Doom 3 the most. Um, I, You know, I've played the two latest Dooms, um, you know, the reboot and Eternal. But the the relative groundedness of 3 
is something that I'll always hold dearly to because it was a game that really creeped me out. Um, and also around that time, I was also playing Fear. And so there was like this great, uh, this great, uh, what am I trying to say here? Just a lot of great, a lot of great horror shooters is what was happening. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of great horror shooters. And Doom 3 in particular, I just loved it. I loved walking through the environments. I was creeped out at the time by it. And yeah, that I, you know, I know when it comes to Doom overall, the, you know, kind of chaoticness of the environments and the, you know, the super metal Im imagery of it. And you would think that's my cup of tea as a metalhead. Um, but I don't know. I love the cold, creepy industrial vibe of Doom 3. And I, and that also might be because I'm also a big Quake fan um, and Quake, Quake 4 in particular. Yeah, you know, I think that that's an interesting contrast between Doom 3 and Fear, right? Because in a lot of ways, Fear felt like it was taking that sort of high-speed running-gun atmosphere or approach to gameplay of something like classic Doom, but, you know, has this sort of John Woo uh, influence in there as well. But then in playing that against Doom 3, which plays differently than any of the other Doom games before it, right, just in terms of the more methodical pacing, a lot more CQC focused, you know, it's a lot uh, tighter of environments and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's why, you know, Doom 3 is also a series favorite of mine because of how different it is while still having so many elements of the original core games, you know, aesthetic and whatnot coming to life in a way that, you know, is taking advantage of new id tech, but also, you know, something that was a little more focused on horror. And I know that, you know, no. <laughs> fans of the originals are going to say that's blasphemy, but, you know, I came <laughs> to the original Doom and Doom 2 when I was far removed, I'll say, from uh, the original release, right? I probably played it in 2000 or 2002 or something like that for the first time. And sure. at that point, I didn't necessarily find those games scary, but I certainly loved the gameplay. And it was, mm. you know, it was my second shooter. Wolfenstein was my first. But Got it. You know, that hell world met with metal and blood and all of these things like that was really quite the intoxicating combo for a first person shooter. And it's what made me become a lifelong Doom fan. Um, and I think that, you know, for the reasons you mentioned, like Doom 3, the, finally, the sentiment around that game or the conversation around that game has been more positive in the last few years than it was when I originally mm. played it. Um, and it's one of those things that I see to be a real standout example of just, you know, taking core elements that have worked in previous entries in the series and taking it in a new direction, whether that be tonally, whether that be pacing wise, um, because, you know, I think that while they've returned to a more traditional Doom gameplay experience with, you know, 2016 yes. and then Eternal, at the same time, they feel somewhat influenced by, you know, Doom 3 and its world building and storytelling a little bit because, you know, you saw that a lot in uh, Doom Eternal, like fleshing yeah. out the Doom guy or uh, Doom Marine, whether or not, you know, that works for everybody. Um, I'm glad that Doom 3 was uh, such a standout for you as it was for me, because it's one that uh, seemingly has taken people quite a while to get on board with. No, it's it's easily one of my big nostalgia games. So, and I think it's kind of ironic too, since, you know, it's, for lack of better phrasing, it's the game that Doom 05 is loosely based on. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a great segue into uh, talking about Barkoy's adaptation, uh, which is set in the year 2026, so only a few short years before uh, we're dealing with 
aliens and demons and whatnot. Uh, but it's about a squad of space Marines that are sent to investigate strange events at a research facility and uncover genetically enhanced monsters that are looking to make Earth their new hunting ground. Uh, before diving into you know the film itself, I want to do a quick uh, Tale of the Terror tape segment, which I break down some stats of the movie. Uh, this was written by David Callahan, who would go on to write uh, for the all of the Expendables movies, and most recently, Shang-Chi and Across the Spider-Verse, which is set to release soon. It was also written by Wesley Strick, who is an executive producer on Man in the High Castle and has written a number of episodes for that series. Um, the film made $59 million against a budget of 60 to $70 million. That kind of speaks for itself. Um, the certified Rotten rating of 18% based on 138 critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. The average two and a half stars on Letterboxd. Um, and notably, the monster and creature effects for the film were created by Stan the God Winston Studios. Um, they had tried to adapt Doom into a future film in, I believe, 1999. That mm -hmm. I think originally they wanted Schwarzenegger at the helm of it. Unfortunately, due to um, you know events such as Columbine that dragged Doom into the headlines and whatnot, um, that project kind of fell apart. Whether it was directly related to that or if that was you know a facet of that first attempt at kind of adapting this as being uh, not coming to fruition, it's difficult to tell. But at the same time, you know when you have a project such as Doom. It's kind of difficult to know how to make that into a future film, right? Not only yeah. like you might have an idea from a casting perspective, right? Oh, you're going to get sure. the most muscular action star of whatever era this project's being conceived in uh, to be the guy that holds the gun for the whole film. But from a storytelling perspective and making a 90 minute feature or potentially longer like this Doom film is in 2005, you know, for you, what do you think is probably the most daunting part of adapting Doom into a film? I'm trying to really remember the early aughts of movies and the fantastical nature and like the quality of CGI at the time. And I, I probably should do a quick Wikipedia search about that. But I would say that off the top of my head, what is so daunting about attempting to adapt Doom is, frankly, its world. It's world and how are you going to convey that in a sense where it's like maybe it doesn't come off too gamey to like audiences who haven't played the game. You know, how do you make a world like Doom that doesn't come off like a glorified cutscene? I, I would think that's that's actually the issue that comes to mind right away. Um, I'm taking a look to see what. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the O when it comes to O five. Yeah, we had stuff like Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and you would not want to make a fan like a fantastical setting like Doom so cheeky. You wouldn't want that. You would want to sell it. You know, you, you're trying to sell grit and seriousness. You wouldn't do something like a CGI like God. I know this sounds ridiculous as hell, but like Corpse Bride, you know. Um, and you wouldn't even want to do something. Oh my God, that came out in 05. You even wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to do something like Advent Children. Um, you the the thing with Doom is that you do need to sell a grit. And you know what what I think is so pretty great, honestly, without trying to be biased about them loosely basing off of three, is the fact that relatively speaking, that's the most grounded kind of environment that they could take for Doom. Like 
them trying to put together such a fantastical setting like you know i obviously it would come out in the future but like eternal or even like the original doom i don't know i i think you might have an issue in bringing in audiences who are not into the game yeah you know that was kind of my takeaway on this most recent rewatch which was actually my first rewatch i never saw this movie after i'd seen it originally um i think i saw it in the theater even oh. um but it was the type of thing where I was able to appreciate on this rewatch the fact that they clearly went in and they've stated as such, like going into the movie, wanting to do as little CGI as possible, which comes into play when we are going to talk about, you know, the monster and creature designs, right? And how a majority of them are practical. Of course, there's some CGI touch-ups here and there. But this was a film that so easily could have gotten you know, carried away with the setting or so much confusion about what setting to latch onto that they could have had this over-reliance on CGI and that being if they thought, well, these games have been mostly taking place in hell or certain sections of them have been in hell. Let's have this set in this lava hell world. And then you have a certain portion of a film that is just this really shitty CGI, you know, uh, world that you're investigating. So to your point about, you know, clearly the setting is being largely derived from Doom 3 and having this, you know, UAC facility and it being this very just, you know, industrial building moon base and whatnot um that at least i think does the film a service and just you know grounding it a little bit more making it a little more presentable while also not aging it in a way you know i'm not mm. going to say that there are parts of this film that have aged gracefully but i think oh. <laughs> in terms of a setting for this movie it's approachable enough to people that a don't know anything about doom the games they don't have a love for that but for fans of the series you know this looks like any number of facilities that you've explored throughout the various Doom games, primarily Doom 3. Um, but this could have been the type of film where it's like, oh, let's immediately get to hell or let's yeah. be on the, uh, you know, the outside of the moon base. And that's where I think this film could have definitely aged even more poorly, right? If they didn't have the wherewithal to be like, okay, also, it's probably cheaper to have it in these long corridors yeah. rather than that. But from a technology standpoint and just a set design standpoint, um, that was an element right out the gate that really stood out to me for Doom. Yeah, it, I mean, it's that perfect middle ground of like, yeah, we can definitely bring in the Doom fans, but it's also marketable enough that we can bring in, you know, the newbies. For sure. But uh, in talking about marketability, uh, let's talk about the cast of the film, because again, oh, you know, other word. than The Rock, I didn't remember anybody that was in this movie and, you know, coming to revisit it and, you know, the subsequent uh, you know, almost 20 years of watching films, I've become familiar with a lot more of this cast. Uh, you know, you have Carl Urban, who plays Grimm, who, you know, John Grimm, codename Reaper, Roseman Pike, who plays, you know, John's sister, Samantha Grimm. You yep. also have uh, the god Richard Brake, who we're both massive fans of, who I completely forgot was in this movie. Dude, um, oh, and he's so good. Aptly plays a scumbag in only a way yep. Richard Brake could. Uh, and then you have Dwayne Johnson, who plays Sarge, right? Who's the protagonist for the first half of the film uh, and then takes a pretty sudden shift. But uh, yeah, how did this casting land for you for the various uh, names that I just mentioned? And, you know, how did other characters perhaps land for you that I didn't? Well, I kind of had a similar effect in regards to like when I watched this movie in 05, it was like, oh, I know The Rock because of wrestling. And that was pretty cool. Like, that was great for me. Um, but, you know, in the years later, re-watching this movie, I would always get hit with like a, holy shit, so-and-so was in Doom? That's fucking wild. 
You know, I remember like at, coming back after watching Dread and being like, Carl Urban's in Doom. Holy shit. Watching Gone Girl. Roseman Pike's in Doom. Holy shit. You know, and then, yeah, Richard Brake and admiring him from uh, Rob Zombie's work. Um, also, shout out to friggin' Doug Jones being in this movie, who's a phenomenal actor in like a lot of Del Toro stuff. Um, normally does creature stuff. Um, but I got to be honest, I mean, I really, without trying to sound too hyperbolic here, I really like the cast of this movie. Um, you know, even actors who are, don't really provide anything that's super memorable in terms of dialogue, I feel like we have a good enough cast, especially the soldiers. I really like the soldiers a lot um, because it's just kind of this, it's very believable to me. You know, there's a little bit of that edgelord kind of toxic soldier element going on within the group. Like we're not, I can't, we can't hide from that. There's some, there's some gross shit in there, but um, it, it is all very believable. And it's all I I like the banter as far as, you know, these being tough asses and badasses, excuse me. Um, as far as like who actually stands out, ironically, I don't think Carl or, you know, the two that stand out to me the most is Richard Brake and The Rock, without a doubt. And I do want to say something and fair credit here. My I, I was rewatching this movie with my spouse for this episode and, you know, fair credit to them for bringing this up. But it's like. When you look at The Rock today in a movie, this this is such a tamed performance from him. And it's so fucking surreal. Um, but you know what? I also love how much he plays it straight. Cause um, and I and I like this is a subjective read for me. So it's like when he gets angry in this movie, I can kind of feel it. It's like I get that kind of rough drill sergeant vibe from him. And it's like it's kind of neat because. I'm so used to him, like, now he's just the badass in movies, and it, it's kind of what you expect, but, like, seeing him really try to control himself through a role, I I really loved revisiting that. Um, while, and, and granted, there are, there are the infamous lines that headlines have ran with this. I, I, I don't want to shit on Rosamund Pike. She is kind of just like an ex exposition dump. Um, but you know what? For what she does, I like her character. I think she does a great job introducing some of the movie's more wackier vibes and like goofier sci-fi stuff. And so I appreciate that from her. Um, I think in hindsight, the only... I think I already said this and I apologize if I'm just repeating, but um, the only performance that kind of stands out weird to me is Carl Urban. Um, because it's Carl Urban and he just seems too restrained in his role. Because even the goofy... Um, the new the new kid of the group he's even more memorable to me than Carl Urban <laughs> yeah you know and this is something that i wanted to talk about with the casting is that so originally you know the rock is supposed to be the star of the film obviously and you know by all accounts is from the marketing he plays sarge originally he was supposed to play carl urban's role because the film was supposed to have you know john grimm is the star of the movie he's doom guy essentially and you know like i mentioned earlier Schwarzenegger was originally the idea for Doom Guy. That didn't pan out. For this film, it was supposed to be Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel passed. And then you have, you know, The Rock in that role. But The Rock, I guess, through the development process of it was like, well, I don't want to play John Grimm. I want to play Sarge because Sarge is a more interesting character. So 
it was interesting then to see, you know, the way in which the plot plays out where first half of the film, you know, Sarge is set up to be the protagonist, the good guy, the leader. And then you have that shift where he becomes the antagonist, right? And then it's more of an yep. emphasis on, you know, John Grimm and his relationship with Sam- with Samantha. And yep. then, you know, having that shift where his character not only has more to say, but has more to do in the second half of the film. It is this kind of like jarring shift where you have the protagonist in mind, but then, you know, you have this swapping of, you know, good and evil between these characters. And, you know, as I'm not a wrestling guy, one thing I was curious about which maybe you can uh, corroborate for me is, do you think that The Rock was essentially kind of like playing a heel in this where, you know, he's set up to be the good guy, but then he like shifts and turns into this bad guy that's like this force to be reckoned with? Do you think that had anything to do with like this kind of the shifting of his personas in the film? God, that's a great question. I didn't even think of that at all. Um, I think there is something to read into there. Yeah, Um, because... And I'll be frankly, you know, honest for this episode, the that back context you just provided to me, I was not aware of him, you know, being the doom guy at first and having Carl Urban's role and then being like, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to do a little bit more. And that's such a fucking heel thing. <laughs> that's such a heel thing to be like, no, I, I'm going to, you know, like, fuck this. I want to I want to play this hard ass. And it's like, no, you know what? I want to be the hard ass in control. And then I want to do it my way and screw what anyone else thinks. That is such a heel move. And I really do like that as to whether that's intentional. I don't know, but um, I think there is something to really read into there. And I also want to comment um, just to add to this. Um, isn't it? So I, I don't know. That's such an interesting twist that we don't, I don't think we got a lot in movies back in the day, the whole setup to be the hero. Cause then I also, Maybe everyone might have their own different opinion about it, but Sarge doesn't come across like a bad guy. You know, he doesn't doesn't come off like an antagonist. You really kind of believe he is the good guy for so much of the movie until it just like happens. And I don't mean it just happens in like an abrasive negative way. It is jarring, but it's just like you don't see that kind of like interesting depth to action movies, at least more so in the past, because this. I don't know. This movie has a lot of tellings that it could just be like a straightforward action flick popcorn muncher. And I just do appreciate that little bit of depth provided to the narrative. Yeah. You know, I thought it was interesting just with his role because, you know, he does play the hard ass Sarge who's in charge of everybody and we're going to do the mission by the book. But and, you know, he does have that sudden shift, though, into an antagonist when, you know, they find out that what they've been doing on the UAC, they've been doing these you know, genetic testings and mutations on people and whatnot. And then he's like, we're going to bring back this property. Like the full lean into like UAC bootlicker uh, is like comes out of nowhere almost to the point where it's just like, oh yeah, this is kind of jumping the trajectory of how these films usually go. Right. And I think that um, it, the point where that becomes so jarring for me is, is that I actually think Carl Urban is, you know, pretty good as being this, uh, the, I'll say, you know, the surprise hero of the film, but it feels <laughs> almost like too little too late, right? Because he's so underspoken in the first half of the film and he has so little input other than, you know, oh yeah, my sister's there and we have some baggage. But then how the second half fully leans into his character, it almost feels like where did all this, you know, bravado and leadership and, you know, uh, asserting yourself into this situation that could be for the betterment of mankind, but the detriment to your own survivability, um, I really, I like that arc for him. It's just, it comes across a little 
too little too late. Um, I agree. It's also just, again, strange that you would have um, a secondary character have so much emotional baggage tied to one another and to the setting itself that I feel like the they almost underplay sort of the importance of the facility and the history to the character in, you know, at the later point in the film in which they actually introduce it. I mean, it's, I, I agree with everything you said. It, and it's just so ironic that he gets later on in the second end, like towards the end of the film, he gets the best scene of the movie, yeah. <laughs> which I, we might agree on is the best scene of the movie, but we'll see when we get there. Uh, but yeah, you know, like we were saying, Richard Brake is aptly scummy, has some uh, choice words early on. But to his yes. credit, though, you know, out of all the soldiers, he's the most memorable outside Wonderful. of, you know, the two main leads that we've yeah. mentioned now. And this film is such a testament to why I think he's such a good scumbag character actor, because every single line that he has is memorable in just, you know, his pronunciation of it or the way he delivers it. Right. It can be the most you know, paint by the numbers kind of line. That's just this banter filler, but the way in which he brings such an intense energy to everything that you almost yeah. forget he's an actor. I kind of like, I think about it in terms of, um, you know, like the set, this is going to be so random, but the Safty brothers, you know, they have a tendency with both of their films to get people from, you know, the area or the world, if you will, of where their movie is taking place in the setting and they get people off the street Sure. Richard Brake always comes across to me like some guy that's just a product of the world in which this film is taking place or a film is. And he they just grabbed him off the street and he is a representation of, you know, the chaotic side to wherever a story is being told, which that uh, is a great way to put it. I think that's the best compliment I could give him because he's just so aptly pitch perfect for every role similar to this uh, that I've seen him in. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I have nothing to add to that. It's just, you know, it, it, there's the difference between, and maybe this is weird semantic playing here, but like, you know, portraying a great role, you know, like The Rock does a great job of coming off like a soldier. But then there's something believable about Richard Brake. Like, he is a soldier in this world. You know, there there is something like that. But yeah. That's all. Was. One thing that I wish they had done, you know, the squad is so large. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have a better appreciation for the film if they didn't spend time fleshing out certain characters in the squad rather than the core trio that we've really been talking about. Well, that being, you know, Richard, uh, not Richard Brake, but uh, Carl Urban, Roseman Pike and The Rock, just because there's time spent dedicated to like a little bit of backstory for certain characters, but then they die within the next like five minutes. Like I'm thinking about that soldier that every time he takes the Lord's name in vain, he has to like carve a cross into Carms, his arm yeah. or the kid who's like a drug addict, which never has any real, you know, play for the larger narrative, just little moments like that. I was like, it's, Oh man, they're so fleeting. But I wish that that time had been in service again of, you know, furthermore strengthening that core kind of trio. Okay, so there's that argument, which I, I agree with you. But then there's also how it's just like these goofy-ass moments <laughs> that I can appreciate. It's like, that's so fucking silly and random. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a throwaway line. It's a throwaway character point. But then it's just like this thing, you know, it's where I'm in the midst of this movie and I just see this guy carving crosses into his arm, and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, sure. So I, 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 I do agree with where you're coming from, 
I just don't think I'm in the camp where it's like, oh, that would have helped strengthen the movie. Because it's just like, I really do appreciate the mostly strong, in a positive sense, corny edge that this film has. Yeah, no, I, I think I can appreciate that. It's Maybe for me, it's just like, if you're going to make a Doom movie, you're either going to flesh out the people in it and tell a story or you're not, you're going to go the realm of, you know, the reboot, right? Which, you know, of course this film is so far removed. It's a little bit Monday morning quarterbacking, but just from looking at doom as a franchise, what it stands for, what sets it apart, you know, you can go the route of telling the story and fleshing out characters, or you can have it just be this metal sort of action flick. Right. And this film I find tries to do both. And sometimes, you know, when that needle starts to waver between both of those camps, um, that might be where some of my faults with it come. But it's not largely where my fault is. Maybe that's just some nitpicking on my end. But um, I understand. But yeah, that's just one of those things where I was just like, oh, I see potential in these people, but then we deviate to other people. But anyways, um, I guess in moving on, you know, what are some of the elements of the game that you find are adapted faithfully, right? Because that's always a big point of contention with these films. It's like, well, how faithful of an adaptation is it? For you, what stands out as being, uh, you know, right on the money? Well, I think what this, I think this film really does a great job of capturing the environmental vibe of three. Sure. Um, It does, I think, you know, it does lean more into fun action flick more than doom three's really great tense horror atmosphere but environmentally i i love it i still love it to this day you're like a decade and so later um i think it's something that they could have leaned into harder but i i love all i love the industrial element and how dark it is i love how cold it comes across uh, and in some cases, the atmospheric presence of tension does work for me. Um, there is God. I still to this day, and it's so it was wild rewatching it recently. I think it's the initial first chase. Um, there, the the soldiers are in the halls, and something catches their eye, and it's just like we get this like weird little like metal score playing, and it's just them running around. And someone shoots at something, and then you have Carl Urban's character just like also running in a different direction, and he's just like yelling, "Hold your fire!" And it's like it's all this chaotic mess, which is like Doom Three is much more of an isolating experience. Um, but that being said, I thought that moment really did a great job of capturing the tension of Doom Three. Again, isolating experience chaotic moment for some reason it clicked in my brain that environmentally and atmospherically that that scene paid good homage or a decent homage to the game um monster designs which we can get into a little bit more i thought those were top notch um but yeah i i think if anything i really just did want to land how much i liked the environment of this film and I guess I got to talk about it right now too, but like, you know, the first person perspective scene, I, I, I friggin' adore it to this day. And God, it's one of those things where it's like, would I want a little bit more of that? Because when I saw that stuff, that really, I was like, holy shit. I just feel like I'm experiencing three in a different way. Um, In regards to how this film might really play into doom. I, I might, be talking out my ass here 
but I think there is, I think it kind of conceptually plays into the um, zaniness of Doom. You know, for all its heavy imagery and intensity and gore and violence, and it, it's much more of a lighthearted experience you know it's not it's not violence like you would say the last of us is and it's not violence like you would say dead spaces it's it's just mostly just like for lack of better term chaotic energy and i think that this film kind of captures that level of zenius because i think it plays a lot well and i think it plays things pretty straightforward um, without coming off too unhinged, unlike Doom Annihilation. <laughs> but I, I, in the way that it's shot, you know, in a, in a lot of the action scenes, because that's ultimately my favorite part of the film alongside, sorry, the environmental stuff. I, I just, I love how the film is shot and a lot of the presentations of the acting, jumping back to that slightly. I think this film captures the, I think it does a decent job of capturing the essence of doom sure yeah i would say that that's definitely an element that i think has withstood the test of time in terms of just nailing the look of what you know a uac facility would look like and i think that you know in terms of the way in which those scenes those interior scenes are like lit the way that they're framed and angled and all of these things i think it does a good job of facilitating the look and feel of doom right because if you're going to be in these corridors for 90% of the film, you need to make it look good. Otherwise it's just going to be this kind of like trudge that seemingly never ends. Um, you know, I could say, I wish that they had fleshed out a little bit more of the facilities, right. When they go to, you know, the infirmary or the testing facility, or, you know, even the electrified prison, I could have, or jail cell, I could have used a few more set pieces that were as unique or even more so, you know, fully unhinged in terms of, you know, the types of experiments they're doing and whatnot. That being said, I think overall, especially with thinking about uh, Doom Annihilation, like the set design here is leaps and bounds above that. Um, and granted, you know, this film having a, what was it, a $60 million budget or something around there, you know, it at least doesn't look nearly as cheap as some other attempts at Doom, but more, you know, other space horror films, uh, if you will. In moving from the set design, for me, what also still really stands up well. And I think it's a testament to the vision that they had for Doom and it being mostly practical, right? We've mm -hmm. mentioned there's definitely CGI in the movie. I'm not going to yeah. say it's the best, but I'm going to say, you know, the CGI is not nearly as egregious as a lot of other no. films from this era. You know, these aughts horror films or even just CGI aughts films At in general. Time, yeah. um, because of having practical effects be first and foremost, we mentioned, you know, Stan Winston, uh, having the, you know, creatures basically coming out of his shop um, and it being the type of thing that, you know, there's real care in developing those and making each one unique, right? You have those sort of generic uh, demons, if you will, the runner demons. But then when you get to the imp, when you get to, you know, the demon knight, when you get to Pinky, those are all demons that, you know, really stand out. And I think look yes. astonishingly well, I'll say. Uh, compared to some of their other perhaps CGI counterparts from the era. Um, it's also, you know, the lighting. I think the lighting has a lot to do with, you know, how they come across. Because, you know, you get to that sewer section and you've got that one uh, imp 
that is basically I think that's specifically Doug Jones, right? Doug Jones being um, I think so. playing several of the different demons and whatnot, like you mentioned from uh Guillermo del Toro's kind of recurring stable yeah. of actors that he works with. Um, but yeah, like moments like that, you've got the Demon Knight fight, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a little bit with some more yeah. detail. But uh, yeah, from standpoint of like the demon design and also, you know, the set design, uh, Doom's still still notable, I would say, in uh, that sort of era in which it came out. No, I it's, it's like I do, I guess, want to talk about Pinky because, yeah, it's like, you know, running through the CGI movies of this time. You know, I, I part of it, you know, lighting is a great thing that helps make the pinky demon look believable. I also think it helps having that first person. And it's it's kind of ironic because in that first person perspective where he comes up or it comes up, um, that would typically put it in your face and you might notice some like wonky qualities. But I think the cinematography of that scene, which, you know, is fantastic. Um, it also helps kind of sway you away from like any goofy cgi you might pick up on um but yeah i i do think that a lot of what helps this film is the mostly reliance on practical effects yeah i wanted to talk a little bit more about that fps scene because i think that is notably the segment of this film that sticks with people whether or not they cared for this film or not um that that sequence took i think two weeks to shoot which is just insane considering it's what a 90 second scene or two minute scene. It's not incredibly long, but what I really love about that is that it does give you that, of course, first person perspective, but it captures the essence of doom so well, this in your face, unrelenting uh, with the exception of an imp running away, which I'm going to circle back to in a few minutes. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, not saying that the film needed more FPS moments or that there should have been uh, more of an emphasis on it, but it captures the energy of doom so well that I wish yes. that that energy had been throughout the entire film, this unrelenting in your face foe and forces. Um, and, you know, I think pinky getting, you know, sawed was, you know, aptly awesome and getting to see, you know, blowing up barrels that and lighting demons fun. on fire was all rad. Um, also, you know, seeing a flashlight get turned into a tusk that just like rips through the top <laughs> of his mouth was like yeah. absolutely hilarious. And is the type of, like corny carnage that you would want from a video game movie, right? It's the type of energy where it's like, oh, this is brutal, but it's also like pretty hilarious. The fact that, you know, a flashlight was one of the first things to injure this enemy. It's, I, I just can't to this day. And it's like, it's so wild to me. I just, I, it might've just been the time that I saw this. Um, but my, cause I would have been either 14 or 15 at the time. Um, but it just absolutely blew me away. I absolutely love it. And there is there is a part of me that wants to think about like what to your point of like I would love if the film captured that energy and that essence. What would a whole Doom movie like that, like a well-made Doom movie like that be? You know, um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but uh there's Hardcore Henry. I have, which, I have not seen it. I'm aware of it. Um it's on my okay, list. Okay, you're aware of the gimmick then? Yep. Um and it's like you know, it, it's it's fine. And I think that's kind of interesting because it's a whole movie that's that first person action perspective. It, and it's fine. I I just think that what makes what makes that particular scene in Doom work so well is the fact that it is a glorified and probably the best Easter egg I've ever seen in a video game adaptation. In a way, it is like a glorified Easter egg. 
You know, it's not like, you know, they do have the BFG in there. They got the monsters in there. But that right there is like, I, I think it's one of my personal favorite examples of game feel being adapted. I would agree because I think that, you know, we describe it as an Easter egg, but it doesn't come off like that to people that have it. Because I watched it with one of my buddies who has not played Doom before. And while he wasn't a fan of the movie, he was a fan of that sequence. And he was mm. even saying like, is the game like this? And so the fact wow. that somebody that hasn't played the uh. games, even if they don't like the movie, they're like, oh, this is this resemblant of what this is adapted from? And I think that, you know, the fact that it's a pro that you can have that realization while still being able to approach that scene and appreciate that scene. That's the best type of Easter egg. And, you know, there granted in this movie, there's also, uh, you know, like Dr. Carmack, right. You can't avoid those types of Easter eggs in this, yeah. which are, you know, it jumps out at you if you're a fan of the game series, but at the same time, you know, something like that, that maybe is a little cheesy, is followed up with an Easter egg that I love from the game, which is, you know, using somebody's hand as a key card for the BFG, right? That's a literally yeah. a, a cutscene in one of the yeah. later games. Like stuff like that I like because it has a humor element to it, has a little more added weight for fans of the series. But even if you're not familiar with the games, you still get that laugh out of it because it's like, how ridiculous is this? And then The Rock finds a gun that's like bigger than his torso. Yeah, I... It's it's those moments like that that um I don't know it's just this movie isn't obnoxious with its Easter eggs. Yeah, it's not I, as in I, your face as I remembered it being. Um, yeah, I I I am even I mean at the moment I'm I'm really having a difficult time thinking about movies where I find the Easter eggs to be super obnoxious, but it's just I I don't know it's like hopefully this makes sense, but I think Dooms. Easter eggs are just kind of like these grounded things that if you never played the Doom video games, you wouldn't really recognize as like a gamey thing. Because um, I think sometimes Easter eggs can come in the form of like an item or like a character. But like you might just look at that hand scene and be like, OK, that's a goofy thing that they just wrote because of the story. But it's like, no, that's just a, that's a thing in the game. It doesn't it doesn't have too much of a, a gamey essence and again, I think that comes back to just this film does hit a perfect ground of, um, sorry, that was repetitive. I think it hurts a perfect balance of groundedness. Sure. I think, you know, a Doom to Doom comparison from the introduction of the BFG in Doom 2005 to Doom Annihilation, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure in Doom 2005, they introduced the BFG. They say what it stands. He literally says, like, that's a big fucking gun. And then yes. in Doom Annihilation, we have to get this like exposition dump about the BFG. What do the yeah. Marines call? Oh, the Marines call it a big fucking like there's a whole dialogue thing around it. Whereas, yeah. you know, why it Try works it in the original Doom film is that it's like, yeah, he says what it is and then he grabs it and then he uses it. Right. In Doom Annihilation, we have to get this exposition and all about all of it. And it's like, yeah, we we got that what BFG stands for. Right. It takes yeah. five seconds of looking at that gun to connect the dots. Just start using it. Um, and that was like an example, I think, of going from a moment of introducing an Easter egg that's approachable to something that kind of just like bogs down a film that, you know, is shorter than this movie. And yet Doom Annihilation feels as if it has the original Doom's length, despite being, you know, 25 minutes shorter. I made that comment. Um, I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I said, how is this movie, Doom Annihilation, shorter and yet it's wasting more time. <laughs> and, you know, building off of that, 
the one positive, I'm getting ahead of myself too, the one positive I had for Doom Annihilation was they get to the planet faster than in the original Doom. That was my one thing where I was like, oh, okay, they are streamlining this a little bit more. There's some forced interactions, but there's not as much emphasis on it. But then it's once they arrive at the facility in Doom Annihilation, I'm just like, okay, yeah, now I'm remembering how much of a slog this ends up evolving into. <laughs> um, but, oh you know, going God. back to that FPS scene, I think that that is, again, an example of taking the essence of a game. But then again, I don't know necessarily if I would say that the film overall captures the energy of that scene and then disperses it through the rest of the movie. And these are where perhaps my shortcomings with the film will differ from yours. But I wanted to read this quote from the director that I found to stand out to me. So the director says, I've never played the Doom computer game uh, because I'm just not a computer game kind of guy. But I liked being called upon to do a good old-fashioned monster movie again, which is what Doom really was. The creatures were going to be a mix of digital and practical they definitely wanted to shoot as much practical as they could, then augment certain shots with CG if they had to. So the second half of that withstanding, because we've already mentioned, you know, the they did a good job of balancing that out. You know, having a director be at the helm of a project and saying they've never played the source material. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. this is my thing. You know, I cannot stand the commentary around these adaptations of games when people are like, well, they're not as big enough fan of the game or blah, 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 this type of thing, right? It's trying or, to measure a fan's fandom to somebody that claims to be a fan of source material. You know, I don't, yeah. I'm, that conversation I always find is fruitless. At the same time, though, I would want somebody helming an adaptation to be familiar on some level with the source material. Not saying they have to be the the biggest fan that's ever lived of the source material, but you know there is so much that you can you know supplement, right? If you're a fan throughout the design process or conceptualization of it, you can refamiliarize or even make yourself more familiar with something. How does it land for you when somebody that's at the helm of a project though says they've never played the source material? Do you think that that is an apparent hindrance, perhaps, on the final product? Do you feel that? If anything, a new fresh pair of eyes could give this something that, you know, potentially wouldn't come to the mind of somebody that was as familiar with it. God, that is fascinating. Once again, did not know any of that. Um, that was also, I, I, that was a very long winded. I could have broken that up a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I never knew that context. Um, God, I, I, I don't mean to have my cake and eat it too, but I think it really depends on the skill of the artist, you know, the director in this case, Um, because on the surface, like at first I would tell you, yeah, you should have some context. You should know what you're working with. That's kind of silly. If you're going to adapt something and you don't have any concept, you know, it's like, are you going to try to make Moby Dick without knowing what the story is about? Um, (laughs) But I wanted to make a good old act, like monster flick. He did. He, I think he did. And and even not as a fan, I don't know if people just told him like, oh, this is in the game. Watch these cutscenes. He did a pretty decent, not an amazing job, but he did a pretty damn good, decent job of getting the vibe and essence of Doom 3 specifically. And so it's just like, yeah, if you did that and you're not even a fan... 
that's kind of fucking surreal to me. Again, if you were to ask me in any other general case, I would say, yes, you should have an understanding. Maybe you should play like a couple hours, you know, even. Um, but this, you know, he pulled it, he decently pulled it off. And I think for sure at the bare minimum, he made a pretty fun horror monster flick. Yeah, you know, I think that's I'm on both sides of that, I think, because I'm like, yes, I think from he did service to the monsters in a way that had there been somebody else at the helm, who knows how well that would have came off, right? Because he's looking at it as a monster movie. And as such, you know, the monster designs and creature designs, I think, are the standouts of this film. And, you know, they hold up better than most, like we've said a couple of times now from that era. At the same time, you know, I think why the energy of this movie is not what I would want from a Doom movie Mm. is that, you know, and whether this is budgetary constraints and whatnot, uh, I feel like 60% of the demon interactions is them running away from gunfire, uh, which could be limitations of budget or this or that. But, you know, and maybe that's a nitpicky fandom thing of mine because I love Doom so much. But it's like I want the intensity of unrelenting in your face, which you do get moments of in the film. I'm not going to say it's completely devoid, but time and time again, I was just like, why are the imps running away? Why are the demons running <laughs> away? Come and face them face on head on yeah. like they do in the games. Um, you know, I don't know if somebody more familiar with the source material would have had that, you know, inclination to be like, no, they need to be in your face. We need to dispel, you know, the illusion of what's going on here far quicker. That I think is maybe where my issues with Doom come from in terms of how faithful oh, yeah. to the adaptation it is. It has the look. It doesn't always have the energy that I would want from a Doom film. But as I you can... said, it's successful as a monster movie in some regards in terms of, you know, nailing that look uh, of what is so iconic of so many of those monsters. No, yeah. I mean, um, I'm not going to name names. I, remo- I, I, re- I reviewed a film last year that was just a monster flick. And it just felt like a lesser version of this. And I think, again, you know, there's a there was enough of Doom's essence, not to repeat myself, that really helps give this movie a feel. Um, again, does it is it, when I say feel, you know, I know we've talked about this before. The Doom feel, like does this film adapt the feel of the game? Well, in some ways, yes, and in a lot of ways, like you've mentioned, it is lacking. But it has that coat of paint and it has that aesthetic and look going for it to make it a really el- I was going to use that word elevated um, <laughs> a really punchier monster movie sure so in keeping the focus on monsters I'm curious how you felt about them taking this very simplistic premise of you know just hell demons coming through a portal just overthrowing this base and, and eventually wanting to get back to earth so they could spread their uh, you know spread the demon hunting ground if you will yeah. In this film, it takes more of a zombie route um, in terms of there being infection, in terms of, you know, there's this whole narrative, too, in the last third of the film where it's all about being infected doesn't exactly mean you're going to turn into a demon. It latches on to, you know, people that have a predisposition to violence. Basically, if you're evil and get bit, you'll become even more evil. If you're good, you'll become even more good. Um, How did you kind of feel about that shift? Um, from, you know, what is viewed as being the sort of like vanilla aspect of Doom's storytelling and uh, world. I I would have preferred uh, space demons. Sure. 
<laughs> but, uh, I yeah, this, that's what they are. It's it's hell in space. Yeah. I but I wasn't against it. Sure. I I it at first it weirded me out. I was like, okay. I I mean, feel free to take creative liberties. It's your film. Um, but at the same time, I just thought it was fine. Sorry. And this goes back to a point I made earlier. There's just stuff in this movie where it's like, yeah, like some of the like some of the action is really fantastic, and some of the vibe is really fun, and or it's like really good, like solid with the suspense and some small bits of horror, some small bits. <laughs> um, but this movie is also so like goddamn cheeky, <laughs> and I I yeah. love that. Like the whole, I, I forget who brought it up to me first, but the whole like. You know, for a long time, sci-fi was having a field day with the whole, like, extra chromosome thing. Yeah. <laughs> which is bullshit. Right. Um, but I love it. We all bought it. We all bought it for a time. And I'm just revisiting this, like, sci-fi exposition nonsense. And I'm just like, this is great junk food. This is just good. <laughs> um, and I didn't mind the change. I felt like this movie, in a way, was, and I wouldn't have had this insight if I wasn't, you know, a decade plus, almost two decades removed from it. But parts of this movie feel very influenced by what was successful during this period. You know, what came out the year before this? It was Dawn of the Dead, right? So zombies uh -huh. are hot in a big way, again, having this sort of resurgence, right? So I think that they were perhaps trying to capitalize on some of that wave. At the same time, you know, thinking specifically about that end fight between Carl Urban and The Rock, you know, what is big starting to pop off in a way that it hadn't for a number of years, like superhero movies, right? Thinking about the X-Men movies, you have that end sort of superhuman fisticuffs fight scene, which doesn't resemble anything about Doom, but you can see how they thought that that would be something that like, oh, well, audiences are really into this, you know, superhero beginning of that yeah. thing. Um, and so that was also something where I was like, oh, I'm seeing influences from what was popular at the time period, which... I don't know if it makes sense in a Doom movie, but it makes sense, I suppose, in the era of which the film sure. is coming out in. No, that 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 context makes sense. I I had spaced out on the fact that you know zombies were popping off around that time, or just just starting to. Sure, I would say like Dawn of the. They've of course always been making zombie movies, but like Dawn of the Dead is the remake that I think not only for people of that era, like legitimized remakes in a way that not every, you know, remakes have always had negative connotation. They still do. But I think Dawn of the Dead was like a mass market remake that, you know, for my buddies that aren't big horror fans, they all love Dawn of the Dead, the Dawn of the Dead remake, because they're like, oh, that that's how you do a remake right there. Even if, you know, bless their hearts, they might not really know what that means because they haven't seen the horror. originals or they're not inundated yeah. with horror. But if you know, main, main, mainstreams in big air quotes, right? I don't, it's one yeah. of those things where it's like, don't want to talk uh, down on groups of people, but it's like, if mainstream audiences are clicking with something like that, you can sure. see how studios are going to want to take that energy or that direction and put it into something that might not necessarily find a home there in a way that's, uh, you know, natural for it, but you can yep. see the reasoning behind it. No, that, that that's, I mean, at the end of the day, these things are trying to make money. Yeah, that's definitely uh, definitely the case in terms of like stacking this film with the cast that it does, the budget, which this this is one of those types of movies that when you look at the era, it is insane that this is a $60 million movie, uh, just in terms of like the casting and the scale of it and everything. And it's just like, you know, Doom is such a big franchise, but at the same time, when this came out, I'm trying to imagine this becoming 
you know, a hundred million dollar movie at the box office or 200, you know, whatever they thought this was going to achieve by giving it that budget. Um, the ambition is wild. I love it. It's a, it's, it's a good energy to go into any project with, even if it doesn't work. That's true. <laughs> but um, yeah, I wanted to give you a minute to, you know, I don't want to tr- jump too quickly into Doom Annihilation, even though we've been chatting for an hour. <laughs> it seems too soon to still talk about Annihilation. But, um, you know, other memorable moments that I glossed over, I, of course, want to chat about some favorite lines uh, that characters have, because there's numerous uh, in this film. How about you start? I have sure. to take a minute to think about um, memorable lines. Sure. Um, I want to say before the lines, like the one of the scenes that stands out to me is the, uh, the electrified cage match between the yep. Demon Knight and one of the soldiers who ends up, you know, taking a computer monitor and swinging it around his head like a lasso and then cracking the thing in the head with it. I thought that that was not only a scene that did a great job in a like close quarters environment without being, you know, a overly convoluted visually scene. I thought it did a great mm-hmm. job of playing with the electrified nature of the area they're fighting in, but also how that affects the lighting of the scene, which lets the monster pop a little bit more in a unique way. Um, also, you know, it's just awesome to see the Demon Knight uh, in all of its hellish glory. Um, but in terms of like favorite lines, um, <laughs> I have to say, I think it was Richard Brake. I might be mistaken, but uh, if they're so smart, why are they so dead? When he's talking yeah. about Lucy and getting to the whole chromosome angle, like that's a line that's delivered beautifully. Um, but also with The Rock, like when taking that villain arc, um, you know, sticking a desert eagle in an imp's mouth and then blowing its head off and saying his condition is dead, doctor. Like lines like that I love because they're so campy and so cheesy, but it's more about the way they're being delivered is done so in a way that it's like, oh, you guys are fully in on the joke here um, in a way that I just love. So, okay. All uh, the cage is great. I'm glad you brought that up. That's my second favorite scene. My favorite scene is and I'm not going to, you know, beat a dead horse here, but it's the FPS scene. I love it. Um, it just gives me such a rush. I wish it was a little longer. My favorite line in this movie, God, I'm so embarrassed saying it out loud, and I'm so embarrassed that it's going to be heard by so many people. But um, it's the conversation between Duke, which, and, and I apologize for any mispronunciations, is uh, Razquek Adulti, I apologize, and Samantha, you know, Rosamund Pike. Um, and it's the scene where they're flirting or he's flirting with her. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, it's. <laughs> um, she's working with like the demon and she goes, I need a power bone saw. <laughs> and then he's just like, girl, where have you been my whole life? I, I got one for you here. I laughed so fucking hard every time. And I'm like, Put that in there. You know that line got, got some play in the theater. <laughs> you got space demons. Well, in this case, you got the zombie demons. You got all this heated tension between the brother and the sister. You have all this military stuff. And you got that in there. I'm like, bravo. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a line from its era and definitely yeah, know, is yeah. right at home with sort of the uh, the campy trope nature of the soldiers, right? That's like, I think yeah. that yes. one of the apparent differences, I think, between Doom 2005 and Annihilation, there's far less macho banter between yeah. the squaddies and whatnot. You know, granted, Doom Annihilation has, it might be because they have a female lead, female action lead in that role, whereas, you know, perhaps that more macho 
nature, you know, makes sense with a group of all men, whereas you have a more divisive or more um, diversity in the other group in the more recent film. But, you know, at the same time, both films have their own version of bad banter and bad lines, which I thought was funny, even with the uh, differences between them and their time periods. Well, it's like, you know, as as much as I find it gross, I think the the group of soldiers works because sure. there's like that believable toxic masculinity yeah. soldier angle absolutely and i i buy it like it just comes off authentic whereas in annihilation it, it's kind of it goes back to that thing i said about you know um we, we when we were talking about the rock and richard break you know on the quote unquote lower end of good quality the rock plays a very believable role like, I buy that he is Sarge, whereas, you know, we say, you know, Richard Brake is just like someone you can really feel and believe is part of that world. Everyone, to me, in Annihilation, feels like they are trying to sell you on a caricature. It doesn't, they, none of it, like, it doesn't, like, no one in that movie, I would even say, feels like they're part of that world. And no one, to me, feels like they are presenting a great version of, oh, I am the soldier character, or I... I mean, that's what it sounds like. It's like, oh, look at me. I am the soldier character. Not here I am being a soldier, but look at me. I'm the soldier character. Right. I am the scientist character, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. The the banter in Annihilation does not work for me. It's like no. nails on a chalkboard cliche. Um, you know, before we dive into Annihilation, uh, I had mentioned the end fight scene. How does that scene land for you the one between carl urban and the rock because you have this fisticuffs and you know throwing people up on the second floors and stuff how does that land i think for lack of a better phrase it's it's a term it's perfect um you know i think of like the bigger action scenes of that movie i feel like the cage scene and that last fisticuff scene are paced very well i think the, the flow um the cheesy action of the cinematography and catching them beat each other's asses yeah i i just thought it was a blast i on a subjective note would have probably preferred some kind of like big monster fight or something um but for what it is it's just cool you know to this day i still think it's fun yeah you know again i think that it, it capitalizes on the early inklings of like oh superhuman fights are going to be in film now for the next, you know, almost 20 years. Um, and it's interesting to see a film that's not a superhero movie that clearly draws inspiration from, you know, films that came before from that era. Um, I will say also one last thing for Doom in terms of like the use of the BFG. I really like that effect of how you get to see, because it plays yeah. like the game almost in a way where, you know, you get to see how it just eviscerates everything, including the yeah. environment. That was such a cool aspect to that, that, you know, again, is uh, is not done quite as well in the uh, next feature film we're going to discuss. No, and, and just, just to add a little bit more, I, I absolutely love, there is a there is a genuine, at least to me, watching the movie for the first time, there was such a genuine like light up of my face, mm. like my face lighting up when I saw the BFG in action. Um, they actually, that's I think a feel yeah. that they were able to convey really well. For sure. Yeah, I think that when you have a weapon that is so singularly unique, you have to do it that justice because otherwise it loses like its effectiveness at differentiating, you know, a doom gun from any other military sort of gun game movie, whatever. Um, And yeah, yeah, like attention to small details like that, 
I think, go a long way in establishing a, a well-thought-out and well-executed use of the IP. Um, and yes. you know, whether it's that, whether it's having you chainsaw a pinky demon in half, like little moments like that, I think, are really strong at, you know, conveying the feel of the game and, you know, the tone of Doom and how Doom is different from other horror action games. For me personally, I just wanted more moments like that, um, I think. But, you know, I th- in terms of like, I'm not going to say that Doom 2005 is one of my favorite video game adaptations, but at the same time, I don't necessarily know that I would lump it in with, you know, the bottom of the barrel like some people do. Uh, and everybody, ha- obviously, you know, everybody's going to have their own opinion for how they rank adaptations. At the same time, though, you know, at worst, I would say some parts of this are bland or a bit much, but I don't necessarily think a good deal of the movie is like as atrocious or straight up bad as some people have said. Uh, it's entertaining for various reasons. Sometimes I'm, you know, uh, laughing with the film in terms of, you know, giving a pinky demon a uh, a light a flashlight tusk. Sometimes I'm laughing at it with how bad some of the line deliveries are, but at the same time, you know, it's uh, entertaining whether I'm laughing with or at it. No, uh, yeah, just to add to what you said and mention the point I brought up at the beginning, like this is not a film that I think deserves to be so shit on. You know, is it masterful or fantastic? No, it's absolutely not. You know, and you you can make arguments for why it's a little lackluster in the adaptation department, and you can make arguments for why it's lackluster as a film. But I really think there's a lot, there's, I think the only thing that kind of hurts this movie is that, you know, I think about what you said about the demons running away for like a good chunk of the movie. I think it kind of ironically restrains itself. I think this movie could have gone a little bit more wilder, even though I do appreciate the grounded approach. But I really, it's, 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 again, I also wouldn't call it my favorite video game adaptation. I can think of films that do their source material horrifically and also are just not pretty solid objectively objectively solid movies um and but i think you know again there's enough ironically again care to this movie even though not a, the guy you know I, I apologize i'm spacing out on his name and play the games not been a fan but there's enough care in this movie and there's enough great positive technical craft that keeps it afloat too and yeah, it, it, it's, it's a, and like you said, not to repeat, everyone's going to have their own ranking, but there's a lot more to appreciate about this movie. Sure. Yeah. But uh, in transitioning to our next film, uh, I don't yeah. know how much <laughs> there's going to be in terms of yeah. positive, but we'll probably keep this section of the chat uh, a little brief. more brief uh, just because, you know, it'll, if anything, will help us to, you know, maybe illustrate our own points of what we would want in a future potential adaptation yeah. of a Doom film. Um, but in terms of Doom Annihilation, you know, directed by Tony Gigilo, like I said, Doom Annihilation once again sees a group of Marines cleaning up another botched UAC experiment that's resulted in the moon Phobos being overrun with demons threatening to bring the party to Earth. Um, so the big question is, in the 14 years since the original release of the original Doom, to Doom Annihilation's release does this film really build upon or improve the vision of Doom or the original film? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. It's this this feels like an amplified version 
of the lackluster or even bad qualities of Doom 05. Yeah, this this seems like a version that is really trying. I mean, this this is what I think of when people want to when people do complain about, oh, why do video game adaptations suck? This is one of my examples. This is like one of the movies I go to because it's trying really hard to be like, hey, look at me, I am Doom. Um, while also not giving you enough of anything. You know, this is actually it's funny unless some shit went over my head. I would have liked an like a couple more like obvious Easter eggs, just something. Cause this to me felt like a blatant monster movie that you, they just slapped the doom label on. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Easter eggs, when you have a character that literally shouts, like I am the ultra nightmare, which is just like, you know, that's a difficulty from the original doom, but you know, that is such an egregious type of Easter egg because, you know, it's such an awkward delivery and it's not a natural set. Nobody would say that ever. That's not a thing that anybody, no matter how, you know, uh, jacked up on steroids or how many big your gun is, nobody would ever say I'm your ultra nightmare. So, you know, trying to shoehorn in Easter eggs like that, it's kind of just like, let's pick out. It's like playing Mad Libs basically with references yeah. and things like that. Um, at the same time, you know, they revisit Easter eggs from the original film, which almost... 20 years had passed between them, but still it's like you have the framework. You can't come up with anything creative. We have to have another John, yeah. Dr. John Carmack bit, you know, these types of things. Um, but for me, you know, overall, A, it's damning that when the film was about to be released, the official Doom Twitter account had to come out and say that they have zero affiliation with Doom Annihilation after they yeah. were contacted to be involved and were clearly like, yeah, we're not interested in this. Yeah. But to publicly come out and say it is kind of indicative of the quality before you even sit down to watch it. Exactly. I, yeah, totally 100% agree. What, the one thing I will say before we get into, you know, some other missteps that this film has, mm -hmm. I thought that the movie did a better job of getting to the main conceit of the entire thing, uh, especially with, you know, how underdeveloped the squaddies are in this and everything. I was a fan of how streamlined the beginning felt. I was like, yeah, let's get to the demon killing as quickly as possible because that's what I'm here for. Especially if you're, you know, going to be building off of the framework of the 2005 film, which at the time was not received well. And, you know, we've seen some fanfare around it pop up. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, though, it's like, okay, get to the action faster, but then the action is where it all falls apart for me. I... I don't know, man. I think my I think my bias for 05 is probably a little too strong because um I I like the setup of I mean don't get me wrong, they both do it. Uh they both do the whole Marines show up and they don't know exactly what's going on, and then they eventually find the monsters and whatnot. Um I again I think maybe it's because that the charisma of the soldiers in 05 is something one I buy and two I thought was just good for the movie I don't really mind the lull um I didn't find myself overly bored with it and again I, I will agree that you know it's it's cool that annihilation gets right to the monster killing right away it, it's just I don't know it's one of those things where it's like I already find the dialogue between everyone's like <laughs> insufferable yeah and then when the action comes and it's so corny and fast paced and the um what's the word the uh the combat is um 
just goofy looking to me. I'm just even more disappointed. Well, this is the thing is that, and I actually reviewed this movie um, for Cultured Vultures. And, you know, that was my main criticism about the action was that this feels very, and it's a, I probably would have picked a different phrase for it because it gets thrown around so much, but this really does feel like a fan film um, in a way that is far too egregious uh, to bestow upon the Doom IP. Um, you know, everything about its construction from the monsters, which I don't think look good at all. They look pretty atrocious, I think, in my opinion. Uh, even the soldiers, the soldiers look like they're wearing like airsoft gear or like bad cosplay accessories. I'm, I'm not like a huge like guns have to look realistic in movies, but the guns look plastic. They look fake. They look goofy. Twice. There's nothing cool about them. They're supposed to be this badass spec ops team, but they kind of just look like, again, like I said, weekend warriors at an airsoft course or something. Um, yeah. I also, totally. the action itself is just not composed well. It's very quick cuts, close-ups that obscure. You can clearly see like they're shooting around either continuity errors or just in yeah. general, poor choreography. Um, you know, I, I actually, and this is not a brag, uh, but on the Wikipedia page for this movie, they quote my review where oh, I was like, sick. I the, missed that. the film feels fan-made and disappointingly inadequate criticizing the plot, Easter eggs, characters, and inferiority to the 2005 oh, film. Um, there you are. Which yeah. is ridiculous that that's on the Wikipedia, but I stand by that, I think, um, in terms of just this being a movie that kind of takes the core essence of what should be a recipe for doom. And it just delivers such a lackluster uh, execution on all fronts. Unfortunately, I, I hesitate to say lines like this because as a person or even as a critic, I, I, I really always want to promote and be sure. positive when it comes to art and artists. So I, I don't like saying shit like this, but this is a work of art that I think was just in many ways and, and, and let's, let's just say there are a couple positives, you know, you know, a for effort kind of stuff. It's just the, the fault with this movie is just the overall quality of stuff done to it. Like the writing, like the writing of the dialogue is goofy as shit. Yeah. Um, everything you said about the action. And then like, yeah, I gotta be honest, like, you can have shit written dialogue and a great actor might be able to save it. But also a lot of these, I I didn't know anyone. And that doesn't mean anything. You can have a nobody be sure. fucking incredible, but everyone was just like paper dolls. Like just, you're, you just wrote who they were on them. And we're <laughs> supposed to be like, Oh, soldier person. Yeah. Well, this film also, we've got to remember that review I wrote was from 2019 when the movie came out. This film is one of the reasons why I stopped, you know, anybody that, uh, is a freelance writer. It's like you get an opportunity, you jump at it, right? And yeah. this is one of the films, if not the film, that stopped me from reviewing everything that came to my inbox because I was like, "There's, I don't, I, you know, based on the production company, based on just what I've seen of this movie, I have a feeling this is going to be very bad." And so I would rather champion horror films or games or media in general that you yeah. know either has an interesting spin on something that's tried and true. Or is, you know, a stellar example of how you adapt something. So I wouldn't choose to review this movie given the chance again, just because, sure. you know, my outlook on not only, you know, my outlook on media and consumption and things like that, but it's like the time I spent doing this, I could have found something that people hadn't never heard of before. And perhaps that would be something that I could champion instead of, you know, writing 
whatever, 900 to 1,000 words about why this is not successful. And that's uh, that's sort of putting it lightly, I think. But yeah. I will say one of the – I don't even know if I would say it's a positive. I would say potential that was not fully capitalized on would sure. be uh, the lead, Amy Mason, who plays Lieutenant Joan Dark. Um, you know, her as the new, for lack of a better phrase, like Sarge, right? She is – or – Maybe not. Maybe uh, she's Doom. a lieutenant. I think. Yeah, I would say that she's more the equivalent to a, a Doom gal, right? John Grimm, where she is the hero of the film, um, and you know she gets one or two moments to get to show some uh, action stunt uh, capabilities and whatnot, like that one scene where she gets the chainsaw. You know, if yeah. it wasn't edited to shit, it would have been a lot more satisfying. But you know, she get is covered in gore and stuff after sawing through a demon, and then at the end, you know, there's a uh, like a MMA fight. <laughs> well, now that I say it, it sounds ridiculous, but an MMA fight with an imp, which again is yeah. just like completely ridiculous. But you know, in terms of having a lead for a film that didn't end up being that successful or successful at all, you can at least see a potential with which they could have capitalized on even more so but yeah. due to limitations it never really came to fruition as they uh, envisioned and you know they, they had some interest they did have some interesting stuff going on with her it's just again it, it never it was just like you can give me a little bit more to get me more invested yeah and no it never happened i am going to share quickly the one thing about this movie that i liked for about 30 seconds <laughs> um and then the issues that we've already talked about come into play and that's that um whereas <clears throat> Doom 05 went to that zombie route and they forgot the whole hell in space thing. I do like that we that one brief scene where we got um Amy's character in hell. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. This that's one of those things where it's like, I don't know how that would have come across in 05 with 05 technology. And for what it is, and for what Doom Annihilation is, that scene is pretty neat. Yeah. And then all the issues with the movie just come happen. So yeah, it was a short-lived enjoyment. That was the one positive in my review. I went back and read what I wrote, which, you know, going back and reading anything you've written is painful, but um, <laughs> it's the type of thing where at least, you know, uh, we are in agreement in the sense that, like, that is the most promising aspect of the film, even more so than Joan's character. Yeah. Um, yeah. just because I found that, yeah, like you'd said, the CGI has come so far that even in a film like this, that is low budget, they still made it look good. Maybe that's a, uh, a criticism of, you know, how the rest of the film looks <laughs> when, yeah. when 2% of your film looks great and 98% of it doesn't. Um, but that is the most interesting aspect. And we hadn't seen that in a live action adaptation before of doom. Um, and I think that for while we were there, it creates a new, interesting set dressing, at the same time, though, that also brings up one of my criticisms of the film, which is, you know, the creature design. When you're thinking about, and as far as I understand, at this point in the film's conception, they were permitted to use anything Doom before the reboot. They didn't have the rights to the story or anything from 2016 on. They could, huh. though, go back to anything that came out previously. So okay. if you have creative freedom with this entire catalog of monsters in the most well-known first-person demonic shooter of all time how do you yeah. make up some new like demon hive monster instead of giving us like anything from that you know the the mastermind spider or whatever like how do you not give us something like that from the classic games in that 
penultimate moment. That is so disappointing. I, I mean, this, this kind of sounds, this, this, this will sound shitty to say, but based off what we have, and I, I apologize, I don't have the timeline in front of me. This, the decisions made sound like something just to rush a release. Yeah. And that's why, like, you could have taken a lot long, you could have taken probably more time to craft, crafted some cool looking monsters, whether it was going to be CGI or practical effects. And I, I, I can't even think of the reason why you wouldn't, when you have access to that wealth of lore and just to be like hive mind. Well, what do we really have to animate for the hive mind? You know, we can make it an ethereal concept. So that's that's disappointing as shit to hear that I because again that's something I did not know um, unless it's a bad unless it's a bad uh, design of a beloved creature but you would think that ah. they would pick the most unique one from the Doom you know monsterology to God. bring to life in that moment but even like the BFG which I mentioned like the BFG oh the effect isn't even cool. And it also is not representative of what makes that so destructive. It's not that that is a one-shot, one-kill. It's the fact that it eviscerates everything in the vicinity of where it goes off. And again, not trying to be like the gun guy for either the real-life depictions or these specific video game guns. But when you have to explain why something is notable rather than showing it, that's a major shortcoming of utilizing an IP, in my opinion. That's the only... So there, there's only three scenes in this movie that I actually recall. Like before going into my rewatch this past week, and kind of even talking to you right now, I have a hard time picturing this movie. I have my notes, thank God, um, because it's just that suffer insufferable. But there are three scenes I can remember from this movie. One because it was interesting to me, and I thought it would have been cool to capitalize on a little bit more, and two because they are just awful. And that's the MMA fight and the BFG scene. Cause I was just like, how and I and I, I apologize for you know beating a dead horse here, but it's just like why are you treating all of us as viewers so dumb? Your 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 the fans don't need this, and your for lack of a better term, mainstream audience does not need this. People are people are smarter than that. They can you can pick up the big ass gun, throw in a quick line like The Rock does, and then show how fucking badass it is, which, as you've stated, they very poorly do that. The, she even has to say in that line, like, she has to explain how you load the gun. And it's just like, what is the what is the purpose of this dialogue here? Like, show us sure. why this is the BFG, and rather than, you know, having to give us this exposition dump. But It's frustrating. Yeah, it's super frustrating, especially when it's such a monumental opportunity to potentially succeed where the original film had certain shortcomings, right? It's one of those things. Also, I would love to know how this director came in to contact with the IP or got secured the rights to adapt Doom, right? Because it's one of those things that even if they haven't made a Doom film in almost 20 years, you would think that the studio would value that IP, even if they're about to lose the rights, which I believe they were, you know, they gave this film to a guy that previously had did a film called SWAT Under Siege, which you can probably already imagine the direct TV uh, poster that accompanies that. And oh, then, yeah. Yeah. let's see, notably did a Jason Stratham film called Chaos in 2005. And then going back to 1999, made a movie called Soccer Dog the Movie. Like, you know, 
I'm sure filmmaking and all of this stuff is incredibly difficult and I probably myself would not be capable of doing it. I would hope that film studio executives would have a little more discretion with which who they're doling out IPs to. Um, when did that Jason Statham movie get made? 2005. That's that's probably why. This guy, yeah, that's a big name. This guy also wrote three Death Race sequels. That's about all you need to know. Hey, he's from Medford. He's from Medford, oh, Massachusetts. Shit. Then you're so, neck of the woods almost. Yeah, which is unfortunate now that I've been slacking on him. But uh, anyways, you know, it's one of those things where, and it's nothing, you know, even if after I just read their entire IMDb, it's one of those things where it's like, at the same time, just because somebody is behind the creative shortcomings of something, like where mm-hmm. are the producers on this? Where is yeah. the studio that's like, okay, if you're going to use this IP, you need to adhere to you know some some quality standards, or just lose the license and don't shit out something that I think went on to make seventy grand in home DVD sales or hundred grand. Like which, by the way, that in and of itself is insane. The fact that's that this hilarious. made a, almost a hundred k, but um, it is one of those things where it's just like. I can't even begin to understand how a project like this is greenlit and then finally released, quite honestly. Yeah. And you brought up a great point, which I want to make sure I clarify something I said. You know, when I said this, this is like a work of, you know, a work that has so many, it's like just great quality issue. I don't think, I, I think it's okay to speak for both of us. We're not trying to shit on one person. This is a, there's issues in every department for this film. Yeah. Well, yeah, if anything, you know, the blame uh, reading through their IMDb, it's not to be like, well, this is solely their fault because of what they've done. But, you know, again, where is this, the studio exec or whoever that's, you know, giving the green light for this to continue? Why would you not find somebody within, you know, whether or not there are these severe budget restraints, which clearly this movie has, really, you can't look to somebody else that maybe has a little more recent pedigree or at least yeah. fondness for source material. I can't speak to fondness. I don't know if this director was a fan or not of the games, but sure. at the end of the day, that wouldn't matter, right? It's a difference no. of going from a film that has that budget of 60 million that doesn't know anything about the games to somebody that maybe is a fan of the games, but has a budget of, who knows, maybe a, a tenth of what the budget of the original was, probably less than that. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, I guess uh, we're done beating that horse to death. Uh, yeah, as, yeah, and- I, I will feel worse if I just keep shitting on this movie. And I'm, and unfortunately, there's just I don't really think there's much to say. I think you know, okay, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna call bullshit on that, Jay. Um, because here's a topic I think we should conclude on, or might be worth concluding on between Doom 05 and frankly, what Doom Annihilation. Annihilation kind of teases what would be great to see out of a Doom movie given a great budget today. Um, because I think ironically, when we get that small taste of like hell in Doom Annihilation, I think in 2023 we are in the place where we could see a Doom movie that reflects 16 and Revelation or Eternal Doom. I think we could get a Doom movie like that. Would it be amazing if they handed someone James Cameron level money to do that? And we got like an Avatar 2 of Doom movies? Yes, I'd be there opening night. <laughs> um, I I do think the great big thing that could be brought to a Doom movie today is, to sum it up, venturing into that level of fantastical, fantasticalness. Sure. I think that for me, I want them to use 
2016 reboot as the core of any future Doom movies, right? You need to nail not only that style of storytelling, but it needs to be self-aware satire like 2016 is, right? There's so many elements in that that I absolutely love from a storytelling perspective that accompanies the type of story that Doom should tell, which is, you know, most people, when they think of Doom, they don't think of the storytelling. But the 2016 storytelling, I prefer to Doom Eternal's storytelling because in Doom Eternal, it leans too much. It starts drinking its own Kool-Aid basically with like how Mm -hmm. deep into the lore of the Doom guy they get and all this stuff. Like that I don't find to be interesting. What I think is interesting is in 2016 when it's more of a satire about, you know, conglomerates, global warming, corporations, all these things, but also the fact that, you know, it's a game that laughs at itself the entire time. There's a monitor that has a setting for like demon infestation level and shit like that, right? I think that anything that is Doom related, I mean, even if in 2016, when it talks about Doom Guy's lore, it's so ridiculous that you can't not laugh at it when like these, yeah. this, the prophecy of the Doom Guy and, you know, fighting the demons until hell we sent him to stop them. Um, it's something that's laughing at itself, but it's never interfering with the core strength of Doom, which is, you know, this crazy over the top demonic carnage, which um, in terms of like the budget, which you mentioned, I would want to see a Doom film that has a budget maybe of like 75 to 100. But my fear is if they went the full Cameron route of like a 200 billion, <laughs> a 200 yeah. million budget, 250, there'd be too much emphasis on hell, I think, at that point. You know, um, in my okay. version of a Doom film, I would want them to go the route of 2016, which is, you know, half the experience is, well, maybe not Doom 2016, maybe more Doom 3, where the first half of the film is this very taut, kind of very claustrophobic, more horror centric. And then the back half of the film explodes into Doom Eternal, where you get thrown into, you know, knee deep into hell, and you've got all of these crazy monsters that are larger than life, which by that point in the film, you know, the horror aspect of it from a tension standpoint or genuine terror is going to be worn off because the film's almost over. So that's when you go big and okay. loud and into the audience faces. But uh, that's, that my, that's my uh, dream. No, that balance is really great. I, I think there is something to say... And I actually, no, I mean, I'll speak for myself here because for me, there's the the two I'll always enjoy the most are three and the 2016, you know, and it's, it's the two different vibes. It's like, it's almost the two extreme polar opposites of the doom world. And yeah, I mean, I would love to see a direction and writing that gave us the crazy action that I want like the uh, and I and the world building that I want, but also to your point, um, really creep us out with some shit. You know, give us a little bit of depth in terms of like some scares and some amazing monster designs. Yeah, I think that they could really do a great job of villainizing the UAC even more so and capturing like the horrors of that. Right, you get a little yes. bit of that in two thousand five where you see the experimentation, but I think that they could truly get into the weeds with the experimentation in a way that could be really disturbing. I really wish that they would take the approach that they did with Overlord, right? Where you get to go down mm-hmm. to the lab and you get to see the experimentation with what they've been doing and all the horrors of that. You know, you throw in demon tech and hell into that, you know, it's truly monstrous what they could create. So I would like to see some of that, which could be genuine terror, right? And it could feed into the satire nature of taking corporations to task, right? Well, these are the lengths that they're willing to go 
they're literally, you know, tearing people apart and hooking them up with machines and all this craziness. Uh, we, we could only hope. Um, I'm also wondering, and maybe this is a whole other conversation, if such a film now, I mean, here's the thing. Doom and Annihilation's use of CGI, I, I personally think is not great at all. And Doom 3 works for its practical effects and its groundedness. And I, I would need a level of believability still. And I'm wondering if this, if like a new Doom movie, like what would it be like? Would you want to see live action? And maybe this is petty to talk about, but like, would you want to see a live action new Doom? Or would you want to see a really great quality movie in like the vein of like, and granted technology's only gotten better, but like I still hold Advent Children up as like one of the best CGI movies I've ever seen in my life. You know, for me personally, I would want live action. I'm also not a big animated movie guy or CGI. And that's just a personal preference of mine. I've certainly enjoyed my fair share of them, but particular on this art style that I like that I don't know if I could get on board if the art style didn't jive um, okay. with whatever okay. they ended up making. But I would prefer a live action um, just because I think that, you know, with the proper budget and specifically now, you know, creatives that were relatively unknown that kind of come into the forefront in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. There's definitely an age of directors out there now that are, let's say, you know, late 30s, early 40s that are massive fans of the game, probably, or the influence of the yeah. games. Seeing them come bring that to life, I think, could be really special. But it all comes down to, you know, like any project, the right creatives and the right studio backing that actually has faith in the project rather than, yes. uh, you know, people that just want to make something before they lose the IP rights. But with yeah. the resurgence of Doom since 2016, you know, hopefully uh, Doom Eternal. But that's a, a chat maybe we'll have uh, in the future. But yeah, man, I always appreciate having you on to chat, not only horror in this case, but, uh, you know, video game adaptations. And uh, I look forward to having you back so we can chat about another adaptation in the future. It's always a pleasure, Jay. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity. And yeah, I look forward to the next adaptation we're going to talk about. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJay. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.